Genesis. The word Genesis means beginning. So this is literally the book of beginnings. No accident that it's at the beginning of your Bible. And today on Mother's Day, we're going we're gonna to go back to the beginning and we're going to look at God's eternal plan. Now, you've heard me say this to you before. I'm going to encourage you in this again. The Bible really has one subject, and that subject is Christ. And the point of the Scripture, all of it, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is to reveal Christ to us. And in revealing Christ to us, God is revealing the glory of God. Because we see in the scripture that the glory of God is defined very specifically and very clearly as known in the face of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ is the face of God's glory. Or we could say it like this way. Jesus Christ is the person of of God's glory. He's God's glory that was personified, that was made flesh and dwelt among us. And so we're going to go back to the beginning and we're going to kind of go through a very thumbnail sketch of creation and we're going to specifically look at woman, today being Mother's Day. But in looking at this, we're going to see that We can't look at woman and God's eternal plan for woman and not look at the entirety of God's eternal plan because it's all connected. It's kind of like what Caleb was saying. Whether you realize it or not, your story, your life, it's all connected. It's connected to everything because God created it. God ordained it. God purposed it. God is the author of it. So whether we can see the connection, whether we understand the connection, All of our lives and all of our stories today are connected all the way back to Adam and Eve. And they're connected to things that are before us that we can't see and we don't know right now. But we know who the author and the finisher of all things are, and that is Christ. So Genesis 1, let's look at verses 27 and 28. Genesis 1, 27 and 28. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the living things that move on the earth. So he says, Be fruitful. This is the command to, to the man. God created man in his own image. He created him, male and female. He created them. And God blessed them and God said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. Then we go to Genesis chapter 2. So Genesis chapter 1 gives us this overview of creation. We get to Genesis chapter 2 and God begins to look and and reveal more specifically some things about creation. We go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So God formed man 
from the dust of the earth. So basically, we are dirt. I mean, uh, that's the essence of what we are. We're formed from the dust of the earth. God breathed his breath of life into us, and we became a living being. Go down to verse 18, Genesis 2.18. So God creates man. He forms him from the dust of the earth. Then in Genesis 2.18, it says, And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. I will make him a helper. So God makes this declaration. It's not good for man to be alone. And we need to understand something here. There's a reason why it's not good that man is not alone. Look in verse 20, Genesis 2, 20. So Adam, let's read verse 19 through 20. And out of the ground God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam was... Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But look at this. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. So out of all that God had created, Adam sees these things that God brings to him, these animals, these birds, all of the created beings, and Adam discovers... He finds none comparable to him. So there was nothing, there was no one comparable to Adam. He doesn't find a helper comparable to him. So everybody had somebody, but Adam didn't have anyone that was comparable to him. And God says it's not good that man should be alone. Now, God didn't say that because Adam was lonely and he was worried about Adam's emotional well-being. What was the command? What did God tell to the man at creation? He created everything. We go back, and we don't have time to do this today, but if you go back and read Genesis chapter 1, you'll see that God is very purposeful the way he creates everything. So it says every kind reproduces after its own kind. So when you eat a peach and you take the peach seed from the peach you ate, and you put it in the ground, and a peach tree grows, guess what it's going to produce? Peaches. Why? Because this is the law of creation. Everything reproduces after its own kind. And so in Genesis 1, we see that everything, the seeds in the ground, the trees, the herbs, the plants in the field, everything, God created them and ordained that they reproduce after their own kind. God creates Adam. Adam is there. He's alone. What can Adam not do? He cannot fulfill the command of God to fill the earth, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He can't do that by himself. Elephants can reproduce. Cattle can reproduce. There there are these things. They, They all have a helper comparable to themselves. A helper to help them do what? When God's talking about a helper, men is not talking about having a woman that's going to do your dishes and do your laundry and cook your meals and and do all of that. I mean, that's not the kind of help that God's talking about here in the beginning. I'm not saying that's not a bad thing. I know you guys think it's a great thing, right? And all you women are going, preach it, brother. Tell them that that's really not what God had in mind when he says, I'm going to make a helpmate comparable to Adam. And that wasn't. 
the help that Adam needed. He needed someone comparable to himself so that he could fill the earth. He could be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's why God created man and woman, because man and woman come together. They are fruitful. They multiply and they fill the earth. This is the very, from the very beginning, this is the order of creation. This is the created order. And so God brings all these animals. Adam discovers there's no one comparable to me. I don't have a helper comparable to myself. Verse 21, look at this. Now I want you to notice something. In, in, in Genesis 2.7, it says the Lord formed man from the dust of the earth. In Genesis 2.18, God says it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to himself. And now in verse 21, it says, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made... Does anyone have a different word there? We have God formed, God's going to make, and now God made. But that word made there really, what it really means, what it literally says is God built a woman. He didn't form a woman like he formed man in the beginning from the dust of the earth. He's not going to just generally make one. He says that he took that rib from the side of Adam and he built a woman. And he built that rib into a woman. And he brought her to man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Now, remember what I said in the beginning of this talk. I reminded you that the Bible was given to us for a very specific reason. And the reason the Bible was given to us was to reveal Christ to us. So when we read God's story, I don't care, we're reading the story of creation right now, but we can go to any story in the Bible. When we read the story that God has written and revealed to us, it is a story of Jesus Christ. And everything in there is in there for a reason. Have you ever wondered why why did God make things the way he did? Why did God, now, you know, if you read the creation account real closely, what's interesting is it seems to indicate that the seeds were in the ground, but there were no trees yet, there was no grass yet, there were no plants yet, because the Bible says God hadn't caused rain to fall on the ground yet, but yet he created those things on the third day, and he didn't create man until the sixth day. They were there yet, but they hadn't manifest yet. They were created and in the earth. They hadn't manifest yet. Why does God do things the way that he does? Why did God ordain that a seed would be planted in the ground and that seed, for all practical purposes, is invisible and unknown until what? And until it manifests. So what is the point of this story? God made, God built a woman 
from the life of this first man. Now, we're, we're talking about woman here today. We're talking about this account of creation. And what was God's purpose in this? Why did God create the way he created? Why did he order things the way he ordered them? Why did he order everything? Why can't peach seeds produce orange seed, oranges? Why, why, can't just, why can't we just plant a seed and just who knows what we're going to get today? I ate a peach, planted a seed, but man, I might get oranges from that seed. No, we, we're certain that if we plant a seed and we know what seed we've planted, we know what we're going to get because everything produces after its own kind. And so I want you to think about this account of creation, that God created man in his own image. And he created him male and female, the Bible says. And he created them to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. And it says, God formed man from the dust of the earth. But then God declared that it was not good that man was alone. And why? Because man can't be fruitful and multiply. He can't fulfill the mandate of God alone. And so God says, I'm going to make a helper comparable to Adam. And so God then takes, he he doesn't take dirt from the earth. He takes the man and he puts the man in a death-like sleep and he opens his flesh up in his side and he removes a rib. And from that rib, the Bible says he builds a woman. And he wakes Adam up, and Adam sees the woman, and he declares, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This is woman. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And Adam goes on later on, and the Bible says, and the two shall become one flesh. So I want you to think about this. Male and female, God created them. Woman was in man at creation. God, who, 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 is, who created all things? Well, God did, but specifically Jesus did. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And there was nothing that was made that was made apart from that Word, and that is the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Colossians tells us, Hebrews tells us, that Jesus was the agent of creation. He was the creator. All things were made by him, for him, and through him. Yes, God is the creator, but Jesus is the God-man who created all things. So Christ literally took the rib out of Adam, and Christ literally built the woman for Adam. Christ literally took that rib and built that woman as a picture of something to reveal to us, not just biology, not just men and women, something much greater than biology. Though God created biology too. So male and female, he created them. Woman was in man at creation. Christ built woman from the life of man, that first man, Adam. Ephesians 2.10 says this, We are, speaking of the believer, the church, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Who are we? We are His workmanship created where? In Christ Jesus. Where was Eve? She was in Adam. Where is the church? She is in Christ. Where was Eve created from? She was created from Adam. Where is the church created from? She is created from Christ. And Adam's bride created in him was the foreshadowing of the church or the bride created in Christ. So the first is the shadow, 
The second is the substance. All of the stories, all the pictures that you see in the Old Testament, they're shadows, they're foreshadowing something. They speak, though, of a substance, just like a shadow. My shadow, see my shadow there on the wall? See it? It's a shadow. But the fact that there's a shadow there speaks that there's a substance. There's a substance causing that shadow to be cast. Eve created out of the side of the first man, Adam, was a shadow of a substance that was coming, and that substance is Christ. And so everything else in the Old Testament does the same thing, whether it's the temple, the tabernacle, all the stories of of how David slew Goliath. I mean, everything is the shadow proclaiming the substance that is coming. But I've got good news for you. The substance is here already. Christ has come. But let's get back to our story, okay? So Adam's bride created in him was the foreshadowing of the church, the bride of Christ created in Christ. First is the shadow. The second is the substance. Christ, the second man, that's what Paul calls him in 1 Corinthians 15, 47. He is called the second man. Now, we know that Jesus Christ, born of the Virgin Mary, wasn't the second man to ever walk on the face of the earth. So why would the Bible call him the second man? Is the Bible lying to us? No, we've got to understand what it's referring to. He's not literally the second man. Don't you literally believe the Bible, Pastor Jeff? Yes, I literally believe the Bible. But it would be illogical and ignorant of me to think that Jesus is the second man. Literally. He's not. He's the second order of man. He's the second order of man. Adam was the first man. He was the first order of man. He was the shadow that spoke of the substance to come. Jesus is the second man. He is the second order of man, the new creation where you and I come from. That's why we're called new creation. So Jesus, the second man, has promised to build his bride called the church. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus said, You are Peter, and upon this rock... I will build my church, and the gates of hell, the gates of Hades, shall not prevail against it. So Jesus, the second man, the last Adam, promised to build his bride. When did he make that promise? Well, it's recorded in Matthew 16, 18, but when did Jesus reveal it to us? When he pulled Eve out of the side of Adam and built her into a woman, he was revealing to us his promise that he would build his church. So we go now to Genesis chapter 3. Do you see the correlation? Do you see the the picture that God is giving us? And we go a few pages, we go a page or a few verses over, we go to Genesis chapter 3, and now something tragic has happened. Man has fallen. Sin has entered in. We can't go through the whole story because we don't have time, but you know the story. Man falls, the curse comes, and with the curse comes death, pain, and suffering. The death, the pain, and the suffering of the first man, why why would God do that? Why would God write that in his story? Why would God put that in his story? Why would God even, why did God let, people ask me this all the time, why did God let death and pain and suffering come. If God is so good and if God is so powerful, why would he allow those? Listen, it's part of his story. It's part of his plan. It's part of his eternal purpose. 
Women, you are part of God's eternal purpose. You weren't an afterthought. God didn't say, God, you know what? I made that man and it's all good, but I realized I forgot to make him a companion. We think God is some forgetful old man up in heaven and he's bumbling around trying to fix his mistakes. No, that's not who God is. Woman was not an afterthought. Women, you weren't an afterthought in God's mind because he realized it wasn't good that man was alone. You were the eternal purpose of God before man was ever created, before the sun, the moon, and the stars were ever put in place. You were the eternal purpose of God. You are part of the eternal plan and purpose of God. You were created in man, right there at creation. You were brought forth afterwards, but not because you are an afterthought, but because you are a type and a shadow. You reveal the very plan of God when Jesus Christ would come to this earth in the fullness of time. He would die on the cross. He would be resurrected, and he would birth. He would build. He would create his church, and he is still building it today because people are still being saved today. So the fall comes. Death comes, pain comes, suffering comes, but even the death, the pain, and the suffering of the first man foreshadowed that of the second man. The Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God, slain, the Bible says, before the foundations of the world. Death, pain, and suffering came to the first man because death, pain, and suffering is going to come to the second man, must come to the second man, in order that we would truly be delivered from that very death, that very pain, and that very suffering. We weep and we cry. We, we talk about in heaven there'll be no tears. We weep and we cry today, and some people want to believe that, you know, if we, just, if we live just right, if we believe just right, if we confess just right, if we're just, you know, really good in the way we live, then we shouldn't have any pain and suffering. You know, we can live a life free of that. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Death, pain, and suffering is a part of this created order. You will go through it. You will experience it. The question is, how are you going to go through it? Are you going to go through it in faith, or will you go through it in fear? Are you going to go through it knowing that the God of creation, the very one who created the earth you stand on, the very one who brought you into this life, that he walks with you through it? Now, we weep, listen, crying tears are part of life. Suffering is part of life, and there's nothing wrong with, with shedding tears because of our suffering, but we don't shed tears because we don't have hope. We may shed tears because we suffer, but we don't shed tears because we have no hope. We have hope. We don't shed tears because we have no victory. We have victory in Jesus. Listen, before the cross, there was no hope. Before Jesus died on that cross, we had a shadow, we had a foreshadowing, we had something that spoke of a hope to come. But there was no hope that had come yet. It was only spoken of. Abraham was able to see it by faith. But do you realize that there were many people who died apart from hope? They had no hope. Do you know that there are people who die today apart from hope? But they, they die apart from hope, not because there is not hope. 
Because hope has come. Hope has come in Jesus. As a believer, you are not without hope. You might be suffering in your life. You might be going through hardship in your life. And it might be to the point that where you shed tears in this life because of the hardship and the suffering, but, but you are not without hope. You're not. In the Bible, because of what Christ has done, because he really died for us, because he was really buried for us, because he was really raised for us, we have a hope beyond this life. We have a hope beyond the suffering of this life. We can stand on promises like in the Psalms where it says, David says, oh, that that I would see the goodness of God in the land of the living. And there's multiple ways I believe we can apply that. But let's just, let's just talk about the land of the living being this earth right now, this life right now. Should you believe God for good things in this life right now? Absolutely, you should. Should you trust his promises for those good things? Yes, you should. But should you live in denial that suffering is not real? No, you shouldn't. Should you live in denial and say, you know, if I'm a good boy and I'm a good girl, nothing bad's ever going to happen to me? No, you're setting yourself up for Great disappointment if you do that. But here's what you can rest assured. That the God who created you, the God who had an eternal plan and an eternal purpose before one star was put in place, before one molecule of earth was formed, that God in his eternal plan and his eternal purpose has a good hope and a good future for you in his son, Jesus Christ. And he created this whole world that we live in and everything surrounding it. He created it so that it would communicate to us that hope. Yes, there is death, but in death there is life. Yes, there is suffering, but joy comes in the morning. How do we know that? Because of Christ. We know that because of Christ. And God places the shadows, the types, the pictures everywhere we look. The seed that dies springs forth in new life and multiplies and produces hundreds of times more than what it did before. Even Jesus spoke that about his own life. And so in Genesis 3.16, the curse comes, pain and suffering come, and God proclaims this curse, this This over the woman, look what it says in Genesis 3.16. To the woman, he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception and pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. The pain, the death, and the suffering that's brought by the curse. Listen, God created woman to conceive and bear children, to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. It's not in the conception and the childbearing that we find the curse. It's in the pain and the suffering that's multiplied because of the curse. But children, the Bible says, are a blessing from the Lord. Psalm 127.3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Psalm 127.4 says, Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Psalm 128.3 says, Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house, your children like olive plants all around your table. Children are blessings from God, their rewards, their heritage, they're what God designed to come from the fruit of the womb. 
We have people in the world today telling us we need to not have children because the world's becoming overpopulated. That is so ridiculous, it's not even funny. It's sad that someone would believe that. Anybody taken a long road trip lately? Do you, do, you, do, you, do you realize how much uninhabited territory there is just in the United States of America? That's just in our developed first world country. Do you, do you know where that lie comes from? That's a lie from the pit. That's the lie of the enemy. It's the, it's the enemy who wanted to stop the seed from coming forth in the beginning. That's telling people today, don't have children because the world's overpopulated. That lie comes from the same place the lie in the very beginning came from. It comes from the serpent. It comes from the enemy who did not want the seed to come forth then and who does not want the seed to continue to come forth today. Because as the seed grows, as the seed is multiplied in the earth, there's something else being multiplied and filling the earth. It's the very image of God. It's the very glory of God. And the enemy can't stop. Jesus has already come. He's already defeated, but he is still lying. He's still deceiving all that can be deceived. So don't believe the lie. Now look at this. Genesis 3.20, it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, which means the mother of all living. That's what Eve means. The word woman means part-counterpart. Woman was the part-counterpart to man. Now in Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 and 10, John is shown the holy Jerusalem descending out of heaven, and it's called the bride, the wife of the Lamb. We can also call it the church, the people of God. Paul calls this heavenly Jerusalem the mother of us all in Galatians 4.26. Did you know that? Galatians 4.26, but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone because in the beginning, he had no one comparable to him. There was not a mother. We had a father, but we didn't have a mother. Can't produce children, can't multiply the image and fill the earth without a mother. Women, you weren't an afterthought in God's plan. You are absolutely right there in the very heart of God's plan and God's purpose. Eve is called the mother of all living as a foreshadowing of the church, the bride of the Lamb, who is the mother of us all. This is why we cannot, listen, this is why we can't separate the church from the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, and the people of God. The church, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ, and the people of God are all one in the same. God the Father doesn't have a bride and the Son have a bride. That's heresy. That is absolute heresy. You've just divided the Trinity that cannot be divided. So from the very beginning, God's showing us this picture of the bride of his son, the people of God. She's called the church, and Paul says she's called the mother of us all. So think about this. You can't separate the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, and the people of God. They're all one and the same. And all who are born again by grace through faith become her children where? In Christ. The children of God. So God created woman not to be equal with man and not to be less than, but to complement man. 
Woman speaks of the part counterpart to man. Woman is that which was created to be joined to man, just as the church or the bride of Christ was created to be joined to Christ. Is your body all joined together? Who has a body that's not all joined together? Can you disassemble your body, take it apart, piece by... You can't, can you? If you do, it's not, it's not a body anymore. That's called mutilation. That's not a good thing. We don't think that's a good thing, and it's not. So when we speak of body, we're, we're thinking of one thing. We're thinking of wholeness. We're thinking it's joined together. We are the body of Christ. When we come to this table week in and week out, this is what we're celebrating. This is what we're reminding ourselves of. I mean, some of you aren't blessed to have the same haircut that, that, that I'd have. You know, you could. You could all have the same haircut I have, but some of you like your hair, so you keep your hair, right? I lost my hair, and so I, you know, but I'm different, right? So I look different. I don't look much different than Wally. Jeff over there, he's, you know. But we're all part of the same body. We might be different shapes. We might be different sizes. We might have different colored skin. We might come from different parts of the world. But the Bible doesn't distinguish those things. The Bible says that if we're born again of the Spirit in Christ, we have become one flesh with Him. We are one. We're joined together just like my, my uh, right hand is joined to the same body my left hand is. My right hand is distinct from my left hand, but it's all part of the same body. You are distinct from somebody else in the body, but we're all part of the same body. How did that happen? Because we were all born. We were all given birth by something to something. So to be joined to Christ, the church is the part counterpart to Jesus. The church is that which was created from him, from Christ, to be joined to him in union and become one with him. So women, when you give birth to that child, when you stand and you give your vows, husbands and wives, and you make those vows to become one before God, you're you're vowing something very sacred. This isn't just a civil institution. This is why marriage is a big deal. Marriage can only be defined one way. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to get political, but this is spiritual. We can call them civil unions. We can call them whatever we want. We want to put a legal stamp on that. Hey, you know, that's up to the people. But you can't You can't call it marriage because God created marriage. Marriage is specifically between a man and a woman because a man and a woman is the part counterpart. You can't be fruitful and multiply if you don't have the part counterpart. If you don't have the male and the female, you can't be fruitful and multiply. It is impossible. Well, I know we got technology where we can take sperm from one and implant it into another. We can do all that, but that's still no male, no female. Can't do it. Can't do it. Why? Because that's the created order. Women, you are part of the plan and the purpose of God from the very beginning. So Paul tells us 
He gives us what this all means in Ephesians 5, 30 and 32. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So the scripture teaches that women... That a woman is not just formed, but she was built. She was not formed from the dust of the earth, but woman was built from the very life of the one that she was created in. Woman was created for the purpose of being a vessel that would complement man and a vessel God would use to fruitfully multiply and fill the earth. Woman is the vessel that carries the seed of the man and ultimately brings forth life by the power of God. Our culture despises that today in, 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 in large ways. They write about women conceiving and women being mothers and women being wives and women doing what women were created to do in, in a sense that it's somehow degrading. There are people that I know who would think the very thing that I'm saying today is degrading to women. But yet, God created you, woman, for a very specific purpose. And men, don't forget that that woman was taken out of the very life of that man. And the Bible goes on and says, Husbands, love your wives the way Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. For what man has hated his own body? So a woman was created for the purpose of being a vessel that would complement man, that would ultimately bring forth life by the power of God. The woman, Mary, carried the seed of God by the Holy Spirit and birthed a Savior. The church, the bride of Christ, is the vessel that carries the seed of the Word that brings forth the increase of Christ by the Holy Spirit until He, Christ, fills all in all. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. So to be a woman is to be a vessel that God has created to bring about His plan and His purpose in the earth of multiplying children. That's natural as well as spiritual. The command to be fruitful and multiply cannot be fulfilled without woman. The command to go and make disciples that Christ will fill all the earth cannot be fulfilled apart from the church because the Bible says the church is the mother of us all. If we're going to have children multiplied, you've got to have a mother. If we're going to multiply disciples, the church is the mother that's multiplying disciples in the earth. That's why Paul says the church is the mother of us all. That's why God created things the way he did. He made a man, he made a woman. He made a husband, he made a wife. He made a father, he made a mother. He made a savior, he made a church. And that church was created from the life of that savior. And that life now joined in union as one is to create and multiply spiritual children and fill the earth with the glory of God. Our culture often demeans motherhood as something for those who do not have the drive or the ability to do anything else. And the lie says that it will steal your beauty, it will rob you of opportunity, it will enslave you to a mundane life of obscurity with no real contribution to our world. Women in general have often not been valued in the proper way, and this is a result of not comprehending God's eternal purpose. 
for woman. The lie of the enemy compels women to prove their ability and their worth. The culture screams for equality as though woman must prove that she is at least as good, if not better, than man. This is the tactic of the enemy, to divide that which was created to be one. Man and woman were not created as a picture of competition, but a picture of completion. By being a woman, you have been created with the power to change the world around you and through the lives of those you produce and mold and shape. Women, listen. You have more power than the enemy wants you to ever know. This is why he is working so hard to tear down womanhood and motherhood and make women they feel like they must attain to the status and the level of men. It's this false identity that the world has created. And the source of that false identity is the same place all other falsehoods come from. The source is from the deceiver himself, who doesn't want you to properly understand you were created just the way you are. You weren't created to be the same as man. We were created differently. We were supposed to be, not to compete, but to complement. And as long as there's competition, now think about this. I'm talking about men and women, husbands and wives. But see, this is, this, where does this translate? We've got to take, this is only a foreshadowing. In the very beginning, when Eve took the fruit and she ate it, and God asked Adam what happened, because he was the one in authority. He was the one that was supposed to be watching, minding things. It was given to him to tend the garden. He says, what happened, Adam? And what does Adam do? He points to the woman and says, it's that woman you gave me. You see right there, there is the conflict. The enemy did exactly what he wanted to do. He deceived man, but he also brought conflict and competition right there. Between the man and the woman that were created to complement one another, he brings conflict and competition. What do we have today in the church? We have conflict and we have competition. We have churches who are competing against one another, trying to outdo one another as if we're in some competition. Listen, we are the body. You know what happens when the cells in your body compete against one another and fight for the life and the energy of your body, you know what medical science calls that? They call it cancer. That's really what cancer is. Cancer are cells in your body that, that lose their created order. They lose the, the thing they were created to do. Their marching orders to go and produce normally and healthily, they, they lose that and they begin to reproduce in an unhealthy manner and they begin to devour the healthy cells. And it becomes a competition. You've got your good cells and you've got bad cells that are competing all for the same cells in your body. Man and woman were not created as a picture of competition, but a picture of completion. We see in Genesis that woman was not an afterthought, but she was the plan of God all along. God created woman on purpose, for purpose, and he purposefully created her the way that she is. 
He created you that way, woman, because He wants you to find His eternal joy and His eternal fulfillment in who you are. Not who the culture says you should be, but who in God, who God says you are. And if we translate this picture in the natural over to what the real picture is, what God is really showing us when we talk about the church, the church shouldn't be competing with one another. The church should be working together just like hopefully my two feet keep working together and my legs keep working together because I'm not falling and stumbling over myself. We should be working complementing one another to fulfill the work of God, the mission of God. So in God's eternal plan and God's created order, God created woman. He built woman to foreshadow the church, the bride of Christ. So woman was created as God's eternal plan. The church was God's eternal plan before creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Now in Christ you are new creations. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which he prepared beforehand. The beforehand speaks of before creation. God created good works for you, Christian, to walk in. He created those when he created you in Christ. You are the seed waiting to come forth. We're taking a break from our journey through 1 Corinthians, but in 1 Corinthians 3, when we come back to this next week, we're going to see that Paul says you are God's field. He's speaking to the people of God. What does a field do? A field doesn't grow. A field is nothing more than a vessel that holds the seed. It's the seed that grows, not the field that grows. The woman is the vessel that holds the seed so that the seed can grow and give birth and multiply. The church is the vessel that God has chosen to implant the seed of his word into so that it will grow and manifest in the glory of God would be known in all the earth. Woman was created to complement man, not to compete with him, but to multiply his glory. The church was created to complement Christ, to manifest his glory, not to compete with him through competition with itself. Jesus prays that we be one in John 17. And the church is, whether we comprehend it or not, we are one. Whether you know it or not, we are one. Husbands and wives, in Christ, you are one. You might fight like cats and dogs. You might not appear to be one. You might not sound like you're one. You might not act like you're one. But the reality is, you are one. So this is what Paul says in Ephesians 5. He said, the reality, guys, is you used to be darkness, but now you're children of light, so walk as children of light. Husbands and wives, you used to be two. But you're not anymore. You're one now, one flesh. So start acting like it. Start living like it. Remind yourself of that. Paul gives us this picture in Ephesians when he says we are bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. The mystery is not Christ and the church. The mystery is us. We're just the shadow. Christ and his church is the substance. And finally... Woman was created as a vessel to multiply man in the image of God. God created man in his image. And when he said, be fruitful and multiply, what he was saying is, multiply my image and fill the earth with it. And this is exactly what we see in the New Testament. 
The church was created to manifest and fill the earth with the glory of God. The glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. And it's that glory that's filling the earth. That's the mission of the church. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Make spiritual children. Produce spiritual children of all the nations. Go into all the world. In Ephesians 1.22, says, And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The fullness of him, Christ who fills all in all. So you go back to the beginning in Genesis and God's divine purpose from the very beginning when he said, let there be light. His purpose in the very beginning was that ultimately the created order would be filled with the glory of God. For the created order to be filled with the glory of God, that means it is going to be filled with the image of Christ. Paul says in Romans 8, 29, you are predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. If you're a believer today, that is your destiny, to be conformed to the image of Christ. And ultimately, your life, along with all of those from Adam to all those who will live and walk this earth until Jesus comes again, as believers, Our purpose for being here ultimately is to fill this created order with the image of the Son of Glory, that the glory of God would fill this earth. Woman, you were created for that purpose. Don't let the world lie to you. Don't let the world think that you somehow have miss the boat, that you somehow didn't live up to your potential, you trust God. Your worth is found in Christ. It's not found anywhere else. No one's worth is found anywhere but in Christ. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, we stand amazed at your your amazing and eternal purpose. Lord, I pray today that you would take your word that was spoken, not my words, but your word. The scriptures that were declared, the truth from the scripture that was declared. That God, in spite of the frailty of human flesh, in spite of the imperfection and the falling short of our humanity, that God, your word, your powerful gospel would go to the hearts of those hearers. That God, as as we have heard your word today, that you would, through the power of your spirit, cause your word to be as a seed planted in good soil. We pray, God, that you would cause a harvest to come forth. I pray, Father, for all the women here today, whether they are mothers or not. 
whether they are beyond the age of producing children or whether they have yet to produce a child. I pray, Father God, that you would cause them to hear clearly your word and your truth. I pray, God, that you would close their ears and make them deaf to the lie of the culture and the lie of the enemy that demeans them, that demoralizes them, that challenges the very reality of their womanhood. That would somehow make them believe that they have to be like, compete with men. When in reality, they were never created to be like man. And man was never created to be like woman. They were never created to live in competition with one another, but Lord, they were created to complement one another. And I pray, Father God, that you would help the women in this room today and all women find their peace, find their worth, find the glory of God in the reality of who they are created by God, that you made them a woman. In all of your eternal glory and splendor, God, you made them a woman. And there is nothing else in your creation that compares to them. There is nothing else, God, that can compare to who they are. And there is nothing else that can can do and fulfill the purpose that you have ordained for them. Only they can do that. They are absolutely special, absolutely unique. And I pray, Father God, that you would forgive us for devaluing them and unappreciating or underappreciating them. Father, I pray that you help us as men, as husbands, and as fathers to cherish the women that you've placed in our lives, to value them, and Lord, to love them and to give ourselves for them, even as Christ does the church. May you be glorified, Father God, in the lives of our women and of all women. And may you be glorified, Lord Jesus, through the life of your church, world without end, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Mother's Day. If you're here and you would like prayer for anything before you leave, Please come. I would love to pray with you. Have a wonderful day. God bless. If you're visiting and you didn't get a chance to fill out a connection card, please take just a moment and fill that out. We'd love to send you an email and connect with you. I promise I won't sell your name or anything like that. And Hope to see you next week. God bless you.